Well, I invite you to join me back in 1 Samuel 17, if you're not there already. 1 Samuel 17, and buckle in. We've got a long night ahead of us. Just kidding. We're going to work our way through this passage here. 1 Samuel 17. And let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this evening we confess that truly you are worthy of all the glad things that we can say or do. You alone are worthy of worship, worthy of praise. So Heavenly Father, even as we turn our attention to this passage as we study the truths in 1 Samuel 17, we pray that it is your name that will be lifted high. That we will marvel at the great power and the majesty, the glory of our God. God whom which no one can stand against. You are the Lord. You are our God. And you alone are worthy. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. What is the benefit of reading a biography? I love reading biographies. I love history, so that's kind of part of it. But as we study the lives of others, we learn their weaknesses and their strengths, do we not? And as we learn their weaknesses and their strengths, it it helps us consider our own weaknesses and our own strengths. In fact, we often learn about ourselves as we study the lives of others. We learn from the mistakes that they've done, so hopefully we don't make them. And we're encouraged by their triumphs. The Spanish philosopher George Santayana once famously said, quoted uh, later by many others, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. She's studying not only the events of the past, but the people help us to learn and to grow. On Sunday evenings, we've started a biographical, though still expository, but a study of the life of David. So far, we've merely made our way through chapter 16. And if Samuel had written a a modern biography of David, if the author of Samuel had written a modern biography of, of, of David, he would have titled 1 Samuel 16, The Early Years. It's just, it's an introduction to this young man, David of Bethlehem. We've been introduced to him. He's a young shepherd boy with a high calling. He comes from a large family in Bethlehem. He's a shepherd who spends a lot of time out in the fields. He is skilled with the harp, as we've come to see. And yet, perhaps, most importantly, behind the scenes, what really stands out in 1 Samuel 16 is not the skills that David has, but God, who's at work. God, who has prepared David. God, who leads Samuel to David. God, who then opens the door and leads David into the king's court. 
There's not really anything special about David, and that's the point. It's all about the sovereign hand of God at work preparing this young man for what the Lord has set him apart to do. It's really here in 1 Samuel 17 that David, now having seen his early years, who he is, the context from which he comes, now in 1 Samuel 17 he's really thrust into the public eye. It's perhaps one of the most well-known, beloved Bible stories. It's the story of David and Goliath. We know this story well, and, and we often marvel at the extreme odds of a shepherd boy against a powerful, seasoned warrior, and not just any warrior, but a giant. In fact, this story has become ingrained in our culture. We often hear about David's versus Goliath's. Whether it's a small school versus a big school in sports. Sometimes it's in politics, an up-and-coming versus someone who's established. Sometimes it's in the courtroom, an individual against a big corporation. David versus Goliath. But I think we'll see this evening that the story of David and Goliath is not about the greatness of David in overcoming extremes odds. It's about the greatness of David's faith and the greatness of God's power. This is a story that tells us that there is no challenge to our God. He is the Lord, and there is none like him. We, like David, are servants of the living God. And praise the Lord for that. As we work our way through this, there's really, I've split it just into two parts. The first is verses 1 to 22. It is the setting. The setting in which this challenge takes place. And then verses 23 to 58, the challenge itself. The setting and the challenge. The first thing we see is the setting. Verse, seven, verse 1 of chapter 17 begins, Now the Philistines gathered the armies together to battle and were gathered at Soka, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Soka and Azekah, and Ephes, Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle lines, in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other with a valley between them. This is the setting of a great battle that these two armies have gathered. You see, the Philistines have long been one of Israel's greatest military threats. In fact, 1 Samuel 9.16 tells us that one of the great purposes in calling for a human king, calling for Saul and the people demanding a king, is that they want a champion who can lead them to defeat the Philistines. There are people who lived in five primary capital cities on the coastal plains to Israel's southwest. There on the coastal plains, Israel is settled in the middle, in the mountains. And this valley, or this battle, takes place in the foothills. 
You see, the Philistines are beginning to encroach once again on Israel's territory. And this is more than a mere skirmish. It's an important battle with much at stake. Israel here needs to strengthen their border. They need to drive the Philistines out of the foothills. In fact, one commentator notes that at this battle, the the peace and prosperity of Israel's future can be said to hang in the balance. This is the setting. It's a key battle. And these two armies have lined up across from each other just as they often probably did in battle. But there's something unique here, something that is not like other battles. You see, verse 4 introduces us to a great enemy, a champion, as he is called, who comes out from the Philistines. His name is Goliath from Gath. He's said to be six cubits and a span that is over nine feet tall. He's a powerful man. Not only is he intimidating and powerful and big, but he is equipped to be an effective killing machine. In fact, the author of 1 Samuel carefully details Goliath's armor and weapons. In verses 5 down to 7, from his head to his feet, he's covered in armor. You see, the author here, he wants the reader to stand in awe as the soldiers of Israel do. Picture yourself standing there in the lines, ready to go to war, and out stamps this massive man. And he is dressed from head to foot in very strong armor. And he is holding a spear, and you can see his sword at his side. You can just imagine the damage that just one swing can do. This is truly a great enemy. A terrifying warrior. Seemingly invincible. This is really the first great contrast of this chapter. There's two contrasts. And the first begins here. This great warrior Goliath. In just a few verses, we'll see a simple shepherd boy. Here comes Goliath, having been trained for war since youth, dressed from head to foot. Later on in the chapter, there'll come a little shepherd boy with no thought of battle. He's running an errand. A great warrior and a humble shepherd boy. This great warrior, Goliath, stands up and he speaks out. Why have you come out to line for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. You see, Goliath stands in the valley between the two armies and it's a challenge to single combat. Come out. Let's settle this man to man. Goliath gets one thing wrong here, though. One thing that, as we'll see as we work our way through this chapter, that David understands. 
That's that Israel is not the servants of Saul. They're the servants of the living God. Verse 10, the Philistine says, Goliath, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Where's Saul in all this? He would be the natural champion, would he not, for Israel? In fact, when we first meet Saul, he is described as someone who stands head and and shoulders above the other Israelites. He stands out. He's a strong warrior. He's led the army to battle before. He seems like the, the obvious choice. Verse 11 tells us, Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine and they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Already we see a lack, an alarming lack of faith in Israel. Saul, like his army around him, stands paralyzed by fear. And the question is, how could this man, who had won so many great battles, This man who stands out among his peers and his people. How could he now stand in dismay at the threats and taunts of the enemy? This is the second great contrast of this chapter that we'll see as we work our way through this chapter. Not just David, the shepherd boy, against Goliath, the warrior, But Saul, the king, versus David, the anointed king. You see, the key to Saul's powerlessness, the reason why he's so ineffective as a leader at this point, why he cowers back with his army, can be traced back to 1 Samuel 16, 14. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. That's the key. That's the key to David's wisdom, the key to David's power and effectiveness as a leader, and the key to Saul's failure. It's the departure of the Spirit of the Lord. It's a theme that we'll see all throughout the rest of 1 Samuel. As David continues to rise and Saul continues to fall. It's here in verse 12 that David is reintroduced to us. He's sent out on a simple task. His brothers are out in the battle. They are with the army. But David is the youngest. Verse 15 reminds us of the events of chapter 16. David occasionally went and returned from stall to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. David goes back and forth. He serves, as we saw in chapter 16, in the courts of the king. But occasionally he returns home and he helps his father. It would make sense that while Saul is out at war and his brothers are gone, that David is home now helping his father. Verse 16 jumps us back to the battlefield. It's kind of a quick scene change 
just to, to check in, see what's going on. And there's something shocking here. The Philistine drew near, presented himself 40 days. 40 days. Goliath's blasphemous taunts carry on for over a month. As the army of Israel stands in fear. As Saul hides in his tent. And Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of dried grain, ten loaves, and run your brothers at the camp. David is sent on an errand. He has grain, he has cheeses, he has bread. So he goes to where his brothers are. And there's really some kind of irony in verse 19. And Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting the Philistines. There's no fighting going on. They're cowering in fear. And David rose early, left his sheep at the keeper. He took what Jesse had commanded him. When he came to the camp, the army was going out in the fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. For the 40th day, David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brother. So as we come to verse 23, the first 22 verses set the scene. Who are the actors? What is the context? How does David get to a battlefield with a giant? This is the setting. We come to verse, seven, verse 23 now, and we see the challenge. As David runs and he greets his brothers and he's standing around and he's talking, here comes the champion. Goliath, the giant, he comes out and he spoke according to the same words, the same things that he's repeated morning and evening for 40 days. But this time David hears them. And notice that nothing has changed in the camp of Israel. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. Have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills the king, who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches. He will give him his daughter, his father's house, exemption from taxes in Israel. Again, it's important to note here that it should have been Saul. He should have been the one as the king to lead the army in faith, to believe the promises of the Lord. He's the one who's described as physically impressive. Yet instead, he hides in fear, begging for someone else to fight. I'll give you my daughter. I'll give you riches. I'll make you, I won't tax you. Someone. (laughs) 
David standing around asked, well, what is it that should be done for the king, for the man who kills this Philistine? Who takes away the reproach from Israel, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? This is an important verse here, verse 26. It gives us kind of a view into the mind of David. David doesn't view this situation through fear. He views it through faith. From the very beginning, all throughout this chapter, he's been called Philistine, the champion. Yet David simply sees him as an uncircumcised Philistine. David doesn't see a mighty warrior. He sees in an uncircumcised Philistine someone who is blaspheming his God. Someone who dare stands against him. Not only that, but notice what the soldiers say. In verse 25, have you seen this man who comes up? Surely he has come to defy Israel. But what does David say? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Don't you guys know who you are? Don't you know who you serve? We serve a living God. David has a big view of his God. A big vision of his power. He doesn't see an unbeatable giant. He sees an uncircumcised Philistine who is defying the armies of the living God. Verse 28. David's brother Eliab sees his annoying little brother. And it's hard to know the context of what, what all is going in here. Why is he so upset at David? I imagine from having a little brother myself that as his brother comes and his brother starts saying, is no one going to fight this guy? That Eliab is probably a little embarrassed. His brother is the one who has the right perspective. His little brother stands out among all these men while he's cowering with them. He's probably somewhat jealous. He's embarrassed. He's ashamed. Who are you to talk like that, David? It's not like you're going to do anything. You don't have the, the, the worry of having to go out there. You're just a little shepherd boy. Who do you think you are? But notice David's not backing down. What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Am I wrong? Am I not allowed to speak up when my God is profaned? You are wrong, Eliab. This is something worthy of my attention. Someone must do something. It's obvious that David stands out, that his opinion here is a minority opinion. Because verse 31 says, when the words of David's, which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul. And he sent for him. 
Nowhere in here does David say, I'll do it. He's just saying, someone needs to do it. And that catches the attention of the king. Maybe there is a bit of an implication here where David's saying, I'm willing to do it, but someone must. If no one else will. The word spreads. So here we have this little shepherd boy who did not wake up planning on going to battle. He was delivering grain and cheese. And he finds himself before the king. And now David comes right out and he volunteers. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. I'll do it. What boldness in such a young man. It had to be almost silly. In fact, Saul kind of responds, you're not able to go to war against this Philistine to fight with him. You're a youth. You're a kid. He's been fighting since he was a kid. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing as he has defied the armies of the living God. See, David did not go looking for trouble. But when it came, he stood his ground. He dealt with it. He had done what was necessary to protect his sheep, and now he would do what was necessary to protect his people. In fact, one commentator notes that in young David's mind, all the enemies of God are reduced to the same level. They're all nothing but dumb beasts, regardless of size or strength. The Lord will provide victory over all. It doesn't matter how big you are. It doesn't matter how powerful you are. It doesn't matter how long you have trained. What matters is, are you an enemy of God? David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. David isn't focused on the size of the problem, but on the power of the Lord. David doesn't say, I've killed a bear, I've killed a beast, I can kill him. He's done it, he's willing to do it, but he recognizes that it is the Lord that gave him the power to do it. It's the Lord who's done this. The Lord delivered me. The Lord will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And the amazing thing is that Saul sends this little shepherd boy out to fight a giant. He tries to put his armor on him. We see in verses 38 to 39, but it won't fit. David is not trained with that. 
David's going to do what he's comfortable with. Verse 40, he takes the staff in his hand. He chooses five smooth stones from the brook. He puts them in his shepherd's bag, in a pouch which he had, a sling in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. So Goliath comes. He draws near to David. The man who bore the shield went before him. And he looks out at David. Disdains him, for he's only a youth, rudy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? But notice David's response. Verse 45. David said to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and with spear and with javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of, is, of, of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Sounds like something David will write later in his life in Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in horses and chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Verse 46, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. This day. You've stood here for 40 days and you have mocked my God, but this day you will die. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, a living God, a powerful God. And all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. He will give you into my hands. What faith. From the simple shepherd boy. As the king of Israel saw cowers in fear, David steps forth in faith. All this build up to this battle. And it's over so quickly. The giant Goliath comes running at him. And David put his hand in his bag, took out the stone, he slung it, he struck the Philistine in his head. The stone sank into his forehead, he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Struck the Philistine and killed him. He takes his sword. He cuts off his head. The giant is falling. Goliath is defeated. And the men of Israel and Judah who were so overcome with fear are now overcome with excitement. Battle ensues as the uh, Philistines flee and Israel chases them. God has delivered them into their hands as he promised. The end of this chapter is very interesting. Verse 55, when Saul saw David going out against the Philistines, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, whose son is this youth? And Abner says, as the soul lives, O king, I do not know. And that might raise some questions, right? Because in chapter 16, David is serving Saul. And in fact, it says that, that they get along really well. Saul really likes David. So how is it now that Saul does not know who David is? It's likely 
that the question here is not that Saul doesn't know who David is, but who is his father? What's his family background? You see, that's not that interesting when you're playing an instrument in the court, but when he's promised his daughter to the champion, that's kind of important. What family does he come from? What is his background? So he chases him down. I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. David. As we start the, the, this chapter, the champion is Goliath, this giant. As we end the chapter, the champion is David, the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. A shepherd boy. See, the reality is, and I think that we all understand this, that as David stood with the Lord, it was not David at a disadvantage. It was Goliath that really never stood a chance. I mean, is it really any wonder that the one who has parted seas that the one who has caused mountains to quake, who has torn down walls, who has held the sun still in the sky and wiped out armies, is it really any wonder that he could defeat Goliath with a shepherd boy? Perhaps the biggest question of 1 Samuel 17 should not be how in the world was David bold enough to stand up? Perhaps the question should be why was it that David stood alone? Why was it that no one else saw with faith? Everyone on Israel's side claimed to serve the Lord. But only David was able to see the situation as it truly was. Only David seemed to be driven by faith rather than fear. See, brothers and sisters, this is not really a story about David and Goliath. It's about David and the Lord of hosts. Let the truth of 1 Samuel 17 encourage your faith and embolden your witness. Your God is the living God. He is the Lord of armies. Stand fast in the truth. Your God is greater than any challenge that you face. And he is in complete control. So brothers and sisters, learn to see with the eyes of faith rather than to cower with the eyes of fear. Your God is the Lord of hosts. He's the one who commands armies of angels. Is there anything that he cannot do? What challenge can he not defeat? What mountain can he not move? Just as the Lord led Samuel to David, and he led David into Saul's court, so the Lord led David into battle, and he led David through battle. Is there always a guarantee that things will turn out the way that you want them? No. But is there always a guarantee that things will turn out according to the plan of your good God for your ultimate good and according to his purpose for his glory? Yes.
Yes. David didn't know how the battle would go. He didn't wake up that morning and the Lord whispered in his ear, Hey, you're going to win this battle. He didn't know. He went to that like any of you would go to it. There probably was some fear on the inside, but you know what? This he did know, that my God is able, and if it is his will, my God will kill that giant. My God is able, and my God is worthy. Brothers and sisters, your God is able, and your God is worthy. Do not compromise. Do not shrink back in fear. Stand fast in faith and watch what your God can do. You're likely not going to have to do a one-on-one combat with a giant. There's many other things that come up in life, is there not? Many things that present themselves. Issues, fears, struggles. Your God is a God of angel armies. Your God is a living God. Take comfort in that. Take comfort in that. David's strength came from David's faith in his mighty God. You serve the same God. Is there anything too great for your God? We're going to close with the song, Rejoice, the Lord is King.